Good evening, brothers and sisters. Now let's turn to God's Word. Genesis 46 is our Old Testament text. We'll read through chapter 47, verse 12 here. The story, you, you, you can't really stop it. It all kind of hangs together. So we're going to take 46, 1 through 47, verse 12. All right, picking up then, Genesis 46, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father, Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanok, Palu, Hetzron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shalah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalheel. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of God were Ziphian. The sons of Gad were Ziphian, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodai, and Erali. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Isui, Berea, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiah. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph, in the land of Egypt, were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan was Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jazil, Guni, Jetzer, and Shalem. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives 
were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Then Judah went, uh, me, then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore... Please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Our New Testament text is Matthew 18, it's verses 16 through 20. Our Lord Jesus' parting promise to his church. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on, our, and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thanks be to God that he has given us this word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your holy word, your word which is breathed out from your very mouth. Yes, bearing the marks of the men who wrote it according to your providence, their, their training and their experiences and your providence in them. But, oh God, it is your word. And so we come and we humble ourselves, we bow ourselves before you. We sit at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ and we ask to be taught. Taught not by man, but taught by you that we might have the wisdom that leads to eternal life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a wonderful, wonderful account there. The, the story of Joseph is written with, su- with, such, uh, with such drama and with such interest. There are two layers to the drama in particular going on in the passage that we read there in Genesis 46 and into chapter 47. One layer is very personal. It's this close-up look at one fragile old man nearing the end of his days, living under a cloud of grief for, for many years, who is suddenly restored by God to hope and joy again. That, that, that's, that's one layer. It's about Jacob and, and how God draws near to Jacob after all these years of his sorrow and his heartache, and, and he brings him to his son Joseph again, and he reunites them. And there's this wonderful picture of intimate joy as God restores one fragile old man at the twilight of his life. That's one layer. But there's another layer going on there as well in, in the text that we read. And, and this is it's a very similar theme, but it's just a wider lens. Uh, it's not just about fragile Jacob. It's also about fledgling Israel. This, this young, newborn nation. Just 70 persons in all. And, and, and God's care for them, just like, with, just like with fragile Jacob, fragile Israel. He's, he's caring for this, this newborn nation, tending its every need, uh, protecting it, providing for it. And that is the drama of this chapter as well. Of course, Israel, is, is, uh, Israel the nation, is, is facing famine in Canaan. They're facing the pressures of assimilation into the idolatrous culture around them. How is God going to provide for them and protect them? Um, will he, can he preserve his people and keep his promises for Jacob and for this fledgling nation? And the answer, of course, is yes. God, God will keep his promises for them. He'll preserve his Jacob. And he'll preserve his newborn nation. That, that this, is, this, is the, this is the heart of the text. That God cares for each of his people and for all of his people. And he cares for each one of us. Just as, just as for Jacob, he cares for, very personally for each of his elect the details of their lives, knows the number of the hairs on their head and, and, and sees that they are preserved by His grace. And for all His people He cares. Right? His whole people, his, his church throughout the world. He does what He has promised to preserve, preserve His people. Aren't those promises that we need, brothers and sisters? That God keeps each of His people and that He keeps all of His people 
like, like Jacob and like this young nation of Israel, we are exposed to griefs, hardships, difficulties, troubles, aren't we? Who will keep us? Who will keep me in the, the fragility of my faith? Who will keep God's church in the fragility, apparent fragility, of this church, of, of, of the church of Christ? Uh, will God preserve us? And the answer is yes. And that is, that is what the text teaches us. Uh, we'll work through it under three headings. Um, number one, the promise of preservation. The promise of preservation. Verses 1 through 7 here of chapter 46. We see a gracious word from God. A, a really precious word from God to Jacob here. Uh, Jacob has heard now that Joseph is alive in Egypt. Uh, the report has come to him that this son, who he thought was dead, is alive. So he decides to go down to Egypt to see his son. But, but he's feeling some apprehension about this trip down to Egypt. And, and it's, this makes sense, right? Uh, this is the land that God had promised to give his father before him, grandfather before him, and himself. This is the place where his loved ones who have gone before him are buried. His parents, grandparents, his wives... Um, moreover, uh, family history might argue against going down to Egypt during a famine. Remember a couple of generations before, Abraham. What happened to Abraham? A famine came to Canaan, the promised land. Abraham said, I'm going to go down to Egypt. There's grain down in Egypt. And what happened to him? What well, caused plenty of trouble. Uh, caused all kinds of trouble, put the covenant promise in danger, compromised his integrity, um, and then when Isaac came along, and during his lifetime, famine came again, seems like he might have been thinking about going to Egypt. But God said, don't go to Egypt. I'll provide for you here. So now, in light of this, how can Jacob say, oh, yeah, famine, let's go to Egypt? How can he say that without a clear word from God? So he, 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 he's, he's thinking of going this way. He takes his family. He, he, he starts the process. They go to Beersheba, which is still within the promised land uh, of Canaan, but they don't go any, any farther. And there in Beersheba, perhaps at the very altar where his father Isaac had built this altar and, and offered worship to the Lord, he offers sacrifices to God. He, he, he waits in the Lord. He worships the Lord. And then the Lord comes. In verses 2 and 3, the Lord appears to him and gives him just tremendous words of comfort. Um, first, the Lord reminds him of his relationship with him. God comes and he reminds him of the covenant relationship that can't be broken that he has with, with Jacob. He begins with his name, and he says it twice. Jacob! Jacob! Do you suppose Jacob didn't hear him the first time? Why does God say his name twice? He's done this before, Genesis 22. Abraham on the mount there about to sacrifice his son Isaac. Knife's in the air. And God says, Abraham, Abraham. Right? And, and it's, it's an earnest word. It's an intent word. It's, 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 God, it's God speaking his name with, with, with great affection and great urgency. This happens with Moses as well when he comes to the burning bush. God calls out to him from the burning bush and says, Moses, Moses calling him by name. And here it is, again, the Lord coming to Jacob, coming to him in his need, in his difficulty, in his fear, and speaking his name with, with urgent love and, and, and compassion. 
uh, notice how notice how personal God's relationship is with Jacob. How personal his affection is for Jacob. That he knows him by name. It's it's one thing to to know God. It's another thing to be known by God. Galatians chapter four verse nine. Paul writes this. He says, "You have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God." The precious thing of knowing God is right. That, that's a great value to us. Surpassingly wonderful thing to know Him, but to have Him know you—it's it's one thing to say, "Well, I, I know so and so famous person. I, I know that celebrity, or I, I know that that great hero." But when they know you, then there's a real relationship there. And and here it is, God calling him by name. And this is how the Lord addresses his people. And this is his relationship with with all of his covenant people. In Isaiah 43, the Lord reminds us of this. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. He's, He's speaking there of the whole people of Israel that he's named for himself, but but also it applies to every one of us, doesn't it? We see this in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, those wonderful words that the, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them, and he calls them by name, each of them by name. He calls out to us, brothers and sisters. Surely he does, just as he did with Jacob. He knows our name, and he calls to us by his word. By His Spirit, He comes to us in our need, in our trouble, in our fear, in our difficulty. And by His Word and Spirit, He says our name, and He says it again. You're mine. I know you. He calls Him by His name. And the next thing we see, God gives Jacob His name. He addresses him, Jacob, and then then He gives him His name. He says, I am God, the God of your Father What's he doing here by using this name? Well, the word God, the name God, Elohim, refers to God, especially in his status as the creator, as the one who made all things. It refers to God as his great, with, with his great power. So this is referring to God as the one who has all resources, all power, and all ability. But he also says he is the God of your father. I am God, yes, creator, maker of all things. I'm also the God of your father. Personal. Covenant, family, relationship. I am the God who took care of Abraham. I am the God who took care of your father Isaac. And I am the God, Jacob, who's who's taken care of of you. And I'll take care of your children after you. He's reminding him of those, those covenant promises. Do you see, loved ones, how both in God addressing Jacob with his name and then giving him his own name, He's he's drawing Jacob's faith up to himself. Before he tells Jacob what he'll do for him, he says, remember me and your relationship with me. This is what he reminds him of first. And then he gives him some words of promise. Verses 3 and 4. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. For I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. It makes sense that Jacob might be scared to go down to Egypt. We we mentioned earlier how how Abraham had such a bad experience going down to Egypt. It was a, 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 a stumbling of his faith. 
uh, and how God told Isaac not to go down there. And, and, and that it would mean Jacob leaving the promised land that, that God had promised to give him. Would, would, would going down to Egypt uh, put some distance between him and, and his covenant God? Would going down to Egypt put in jeopardy the promise that he would inherit this land that God had given? Um, God answers his fear with three words of encouragement. First, he commands him not to be afraid to go to Egypt because in Egypt he will actually make, this, make, make Israel into a great nation. Um, God is going to use Egypt like, like a greenhouse, like an incubator, to grow and tend and nourish little young Israel, the nation, and grow it into a great nation. And we'll see more of that later on in the passage. Second, second here, God promises him that this move to Egypt will not bring any distance in his relationship with the Lord. That God says to himself, uh, says, says to him, I myself will go down to you, uh, down with you uh, to, to Egypt. This is a promise God has been giving Jacob for his whole life. I myself will go with you. I'll be with you. Uh, when, when Jacob was running for his life uh, from, from his brother Esau, back in Genesis 28, the Lord says to him, Behold, I am with you, and I'll keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. And here he's saying the same thing. I'll be with you. And then third, God promises he'll bring him back to the land. He'll, he'll bring him back to the promised land which, which God has sworn to give him. I'll, I'll go down with you and I'll be sure to bring you back up again. That's what he says. Um, Jacob is going to die in Egypt. This is very interesting. God says, I'll bring you back up. Jacob dies in, in Egypt. Does he not go back? His bones are carried back and buried there. Is that, is that all that God means? Uh, I think what God is saying here is in, in the tenderest of terms to Jacob at the end of his life, Jacob, you and I both know you're not going to come back to the promised land alive. But don't worry about that. I'm going to carry you down there. I'll carry your body back. I'll take care of it after you've died. Your body, your bones will come back and be buried in the land. And as you know, Jacob, I'll be bringing you to the heavenly promised land. Right. God, God is giving him this wonderful promise of being his shepherd who is with him and who carries him not just up to the point of death but, but through it to the heavenly promised land. That he's with him uh, to, to that extent. So Jacob hears these wonderful words from God. And he's encouraged. And he gets up and he gathers all his family and they all, they all load up all the wagons and the carts and everything and all the livestock and all the children and grandchildren and, and off they go down to Egypt. And then the text gives us this account uh, of all 70 of them, uh, all, all this, this family uh, of, of Jacob that go down to Egypt. Not yet more numerous than the sand of the seashore and the stars of heaven, but uh, well, well on their way. Um, Brothers and sisters, as we, as we hear God's promises to Jacob here, um, these are promises that, that are very much our promises too. His word to Jacob, yes, Jacob is a very particular person, right? Called out by God, head of this covenant now, head of the covenant family, the patriarch. Um, but, but the promises of God apply to us just as to him. 
Um, and, and we see them with even more clarity than, than Jacob did. We see them in our Lord Jesus Christ. And those words we read earlier, Jesus uh, uh, in, the, in the Great Commission there, uh, echo these words, words so much that Jesus is there and he's preparing to leave and, and some of the disciples are worshiping and some of them are doubting the text says there in Matthew 28. It's astounding. They, they're face to face with the risen Christ and they're still doubting. So what does Jesus do? He says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go. Go do what I've called you to do. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's his promise to us. In the difficulty, in the doubt, and in the trial, he will be with us and he'll bring us home to himself. That's the first thing we see in the text then. God's promise of of preservation. The second thing we see is a broken heart's restoration. A broken heart's restoration. This is chapter 46, verses 28 and 30. Just a couple of verses here. The the second thing we see here is Jacob's broken heart uh, restored. The Lord has made these promises to him, brings him down to Egypt, and the first thing God does on his arrival is bring his son Joseph to him for the healing of his heart. Verse 28 tells us that Jacob sent Judah ahead to lead the way to Goshen. Joseph hears they've arrived, and he, he gets in the chariot and rides to meet his, his father. And verse 29 tells us that they embrace, that this son whom he thought he would never see again alive is there in the flesh, and, and, and they hug, and, and they weep together. And uh, then verse 30 tells us that Jacob says to Joseph, Now let me die. Because I've seen your face, because you're still alive. And Jacob's not just saying, I can die a happy man now because I've seen you, Joseph. He's, he's saying, my heart is at rest. My heart now has peace and joy in the, in the providence of God, the great sorrow of his life. God has now healed. Um, can you imagine his joy? Can you imagine what, what it would be like to, to see a son whom you loved more than anyone in the world and then who was taken away from you and they thought they were, you thought they were dead and then suddenly there they are in your arms again. Notice how good God is here. How good he is to Jacob in this. That, that his care for him, his tender care, his close care, our, our doubts, uh, temptations, they whisper to us that God does not care for us. And I'm sure Jacob wrestled with many of those temptations over the years. That, that God did not care for him and did not desire what was best for him. But, but the promise is he's working all things for our good. And not just for our, our good, like, like, uh, 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 like, like some yucky medicine is good for you, right? but, but for your good and for your joy and your, and your, and your well-being and happiness and eternal life in him. Uh, That is what he is working all things towards. Psalm 30, verse 11, gives us this word. It says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That's God's work for Jacob. That's what he's been orchestrating this towards and moving Jacob's life towards, towards joy and restoration and wholeness again. And, and, and on one level, all of us can say that God has already done that for us. Hasn't he? He's given us our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and to be a Christian 
is to have the privilege of basking in the summer sunshine of the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven and you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. What a, what a, what a permanent joy that is for us as Christians. At the same time, we're in the veil of tears. There's difficulty and hardship and, and grief that just hangs on. And to that, God says, remember what I did for Jacob. That's what I'll do for you. The promise that he gives us is that he will turn our tears into joy. He will exchange our sorrow for, for gladness. That is his promise. And it might, it might take a while to get to it, uh, but, but, but he, will, he will bring us to that. Also notice here God's care for his people down to old age. So notice God's, God's tenderness and goodness to Jacob. Also notice that uh, th- th- this extends to the end of Jacob's life. Jacob cannot outlive God's mercies. You cannot outlive God's mercies. We'll see this even more but, but in, the, in the coming chapters of Genesis here. But the Lord is really carrying Jacob through these chapters, carrying him in his Arms. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah 46, verse 4, where the Lord says, Even to your old age, I am He, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. This is what the Lord does with His fragile people. He cares for them. He cares for them all their days, and He brings them to restoration and joy in Himself. But as we said earlier, the scope of the passage is, is wider than just Jacob, isn't it? It's about Israel the man and Israel the, the newborn nation here. And uh, what, Jacob, what God is doing with Jacob is a picture for what he's doing with the whole nation. And this is what we see in our final point, a nation's incubation. Verses uh, chapter 46, 31 through 47, 12. Three things we see here in this last point about what God does with this little nation of Israel. First, he saves them. He saves them from the pressures of assimilation to a sinful culture. Um, Seventy people might be a big family, but it's a tiny nation. Uh, It doesn't register among the movers and shakers of the world. Most people in the world don't know that Jacob's family of 70 even exists. They are called to be holy and set apart, and and they have the promises of God for these things. But they're surrounded by cultural pressures that are bigger and stronger than they are. And we've seen this so many times through Genesis already. The, 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 the people of the chosen family who've been, who've been pulled away by the draw of idol worship around them. You know, they, God is not going to just have them conquer the promised land now. There are only 70. Uh, there are not enough to conquer it and inhabit it. And also the sin of those people in it has not yet reached its boiling point. So God is, God is going to wait. So what does he do with this nation, this tiny little nation? How does he preserve and keep them holy to himself? He takes them out of the promised land. He takes them, he takes them down to Egypt. It's very intentional on God's part that he's doing this. And Joseph explains it to his brothers. Joseph sees God's hand in this, and he explains what's happening. Verses 31 through 34, he tells them, the Egyptians are not going to have this same pressure to assimilate uh, because the Egyptians look at shepherds, and they don't want to be around shepherds. Uh, They they see them as as unclean, as an abomination. Uh, Pharaoh clearly values what shepherds can do, and he respects 
the Israelites as people, but the Egyptians aren't going to want to assimilate with the Israelites. So that they want some space. So all the pressure is going to be on this nation being a holy, separate, set-apart nation, even within, even within Egypt. So God is going to use this to, to care for this nation, grow it in the land of, of Egypt. And he takes them down into the best land there so that they can grow and flourish and have what they need for their livestock. Um, and also space to grow in holiness before him. Second thing God does here is he, he makes Israel a blessing to Egypt. It's so interesting to see that as uh, Pharaoh welcomes Jacob and his family to Egypt, he honors Jacob for his old age. Uh, Pharaoh is showing deference and respect to Jacob. Now, in verse 9, Jacob says that in comparison with his fathers, his life is much shorter, and he's not who his fathers were. He hasn't reached their stature of blessing. He's been through many hard things. He's showing humility here. He, know, he knows himself, but Pharaoh sees him as, as greater than him. Verse 10, it tells us that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. What a surprising scene. The humble, old, wizened shepherd from Canaan blessing the king of Egypt. When you bless someone, you're the person in authority over them. Think of the high priest, Aaron, blessing the people of Israel, or Melchizedek, blessing Abraham. But that's the relationship here. Jacob is the one blessing Pharaoh. God is, is using Jacob to, 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 bless, uh, to bless this Pharaoh and to bless this nation. Israel's presence in Egypt will actually be a, a boon and a blessing to them. And then third... God saves them from starvation. He's protecting his, his people. He brings them into the best land. He gives them food that they do not have to work for, providing for all of their needs. They are honored. They are cared for. They're given all that they, all that they could want. You see how God is caring for his people? He's like a master gardener. He, he knows just what this little plant needs, just when it needs it, and he's, he's got it in his care, and he's, he's going to give what it needs at every stage of its growth. He'll give it what it needs. And this is what he does with all his people. It's what he did with the early church. Just a couple of hundred, right? There after our Lord Jesus had died, waiting for the outpouring of the Spirit. Tiny little newborn church. What does God do? protects, preserves, pours out his spirit, and grows the church. What does he do with, what are we, around 70 persons here at LOPC, right? Just a little church. But what does God do with us? Same kind of care, the same attention to us and our needs and, and what we need at each stage of our growth. And he'll continue to do that. He will protect us. He'll provide for us. So what does he do with our little denomination? So does he do with all his people. Brothers and sisters, he protects, provides, preserves by his grace. All of us and each of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ, our Savior, the one in whom we've been redeemed as your people forever. That nothing can separate us from you. And that your preserving grace will keep us all our days. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and to your promises. We pray that our hearts would rest in them. In Jesus' name, amen.